on, everybody? Welcome back to the Go In The Distance podcast presented by ImmaculateSports.com. Twitter's at Sports. Also at Sports. TikTok, YouTube, Immaculate Sports. It is episode 169. Nice. Another, yeah, nice. Another week of NFL football in the bag. We also know the top four for the college football playoff. Uh, we're going to get into that for a little bit halfway through. Um, but some redrafting, too. Tell us about that, Kyle. Yeah, so we're trying to find some things to do this week and talk about. And, you know, with the – mainly with the wide receiver class this year, there's been a lot of toss-up of, you know, besides Puka and a couple of other guys of who, who's second, who's third, who's fourth best. And obviously it's super early, so we can see a stuff change. But we're going to be redrafting, uh, I guess, position rankings for those guys in that wide receiver class as well. Uh, as in the quarterback class, I don't have everybody, so you're not going to be seeing like Stenson Bennett or anything like that. We're going to be doing the guys that have played, you know, game for the quarterback position or I've started a game at least. Uh, and then for wide receivers, I, I did the guys who have had the most 15 most input. So, okay, we're not going to be seeing a whole bunch of seventh rounders or anything like that. But sorry, there's. Yeah, uh, but there's 15 guys that we put on here that have had substantial impact, I would say, and so we put those guys on there. With that being said, we'll do the opener as always. It was a rough week uh, to find the opener. The Warriors blew a 20-point lead. The Raiders didn't play. Uh, the A's got screwed in the lottery. We'll talk more about that in a little bit. Uh, the football that I did watch, I watched Tank Dell get hurt. And I also watched the chain guy in the New Orleans State game snap his leg in half. So there wasn't a lot of stuff to talk about. So I went away from the sports world. That's the GTA 6 trailer. That was pretty cool. Uh, we get that in 2025. I guess that kind of sucks as well, too, in the way that we're not going get, to get to play it in 2024. But GTA 6 is on its way. It's been something that's rumored for a long time. And to see Rockstar officially post up is pretty damn cool. Yeah, I mean, I, I was what, 11 or 12 when that game came out, GTA 5. It's pretty crazy that, like, we're over a year away from playing it still. <laughs> but, you know, that is positive. I also went with some positive news here. One of the teams I root for, Boise State, a big second half. They end up winning the Mountain West. They win five out of their last six. Their interim head coach, Spencer Danielson, he was just hired as that guy because uh, he got it done, man. And I'm excited for the future, Boise State football. We'll move on then, I guess, to our normal NFL talk to start off the episode with the AFC Top 5, NFC's Top 5, and the MVP Top 5. Start off with the AFC as usual. Uh, I don't have any honorable mentions. Skyler, do you have anybody that you want to talk about? So Pittsburgh, Cleveland, Buffalo, they're going to be there at the end, but uh, some obvious turnover issues are keeping them out right now. Uh, I guess the one honorable mention that I would have would be the Jacksonville Jaguars. They, I don't really have them as an honorable mention, but I just want to mention why they're not on the list. Uh, and that's Trevor Lawrence. High ankle sprain, probably going to be out at least two to three weeks, I would say. Those games are going to be against the Browns, the Ravens, and then the Buccaneers. I assume they lose all three of those. Uh, and with the surging of the Colts and the Texans being good and you know all the teams in the NFC North, it's going to be really hard for them to hold a, a valuable playoff spot, I would say. So Jacksonville moves off of my top five. And I guess uh, I'll get us started with the number five spot that I have. 
Uh, and that's the Buffalo Bills. Six and six. I've left this team off of my list for a while now at this point, but with the poor performance of some other teams, I think the Bills are, are back on it. And whether they make the playoffs or not is obviously something we don't know yet. Uh, it's going to come down to these next two weeks with the Chiefs and the Cowboys for sure. They got at least win one of those and then went out the rest of the games after that. So I don't know how their season will end up going, but what I want to say the fifth best team of in that AFC who I look at is going to be the Buffalo Bills. I'm going to go with a, a kind of a shocker, but not really because they have a good record. I'm going to go with the Colts here at number five, moving up one spot from last week. The offense looks great this year, and it's a backup quarterback. A lot of us forget about this. You know, this is supposed to be Anthony Richardson's team right now. Uh, and outside of that Germany game against the Patriots, Minshew's been putting up some serious numbers. They already beat Houston once this year. Uh, it's not that big of a deal, you know, when you look around the AFC and see Joe Flacco, CJ Beathard starting games possibly. Uh, so I'm okay with Indy right now. My number four is going to be Houston. They go down one spot. Uh, I don't really think it's their wrongdoing that caused them to move down, but this is a rough spot where you lose a good wide receiver. You're so young, and a guy like that can really impact the vibe of the game. It's not even his specific role, but the whole you know, sense around him and kind of the vibe that it's put with Tank Dell and kind of how that team goes around uh, with his connection to CJ Stroud. And I know they have Nico Collins and I know, you know, Noah Brown's had some good games. Dalton Schultz has come alive in some recent games as well too, but losing him is going to hurt him. And so I moved him down one spot, not crazily, substantially, uh, but definitely worth noting. So I still have Jacksonville here at the four spot, uh, staying still, still the leaders of the South. Um, obviously, the injuries are brutal. Trevor Lawrence, um, they're going to keep it open for now. He's not ruled out yet, but obviously that Christian Kirk injury is brutal too, most likely out for the season. Um, the offense is light years ahead of these other teams with quarterback issues, and they still can technically get the one seed if they beat Baltimore. So I'm, I'm going to keep them in the top five. I think it's a, it's a very well-coached team. Yeah, for sure. Number three for me is going to be the Miami Dolphins. They have another week where they just absolutely destroy a team. Their offense looks really good. Tariq looks amazing. Tua looks good as well, too. Their defense plays has been playing better since, you know, the first five to six weeks of the season. We're still looking for that, you know, statement victory with them. And I know we're going to get a chance to see that in a a couple weeks here uh, going up against the Cowboys on Christmas Eve and then the Ravens on New Year's Eve. So we're going to have some good games for them, but got to win these next two against the Titans and the Jets. Yeah, also got Miami here. Uh, dominated Washington like they're supposed to. Still undefeated at home. Uh, helps with the heat, of course. And and like you said, this next couple of games, Dallas, Baltimore, and then Buffalo to finish off the year. Uh, in a couple of weeks, you know, they, they could be down a little further. But they this is the real test right here. We haven't really seen them get tested yet like this. And... I, I really want to say they they aren't real contenders, but hey, they're, they're still nine and three up here. Up to ignore. Number two, it's gonna be where I put the Ravens. I didn't budge this week. <laughs> I guess for this team, well, they're coming off a of bye, so it's not like they played last week, so there's not much to talk about. But looking at the remaining schedule, they have some some tough games. You you look at the Rams game coming up this week, where 
you know, the Rams schedule might not be the prettiest, but they've been playing really good ball over this past, you know, three, four week stretch. The Jags game looks a little bit easier now, uh, but that is on Sunday night in Jacksonville. I, I mean, that's not really a crazy home field advantage, but still going into a place and trying to beat them on Sunday night football is going to be tough. And then you have the Niners on Christmas and then you have the Dolphins the week after that and the Steelers right out the, the season. And whether Kenny Pickett's playing or not, I assume he does. It's divisional game. It's going to be tough. So, uh, so we're going to probably see a couple losses over these next or last five games for the Ravens, but they should be fine. They should make the playoffs. They, they should be in a good spot come, you know, mid-January. So I did drop Kansas City down. At Lambeau is never an easy game, but it's one too many hiccups for what's supposed to be an elite offense. And uh, obviously this doesn't change what I think about them in the the title run here. But for power ranking's sake, um, Baltimore is going to get the edge. Yeah, uh, I'm okay with that. I still put Kansas City at one. If they lose the Bills this week, I'm definitely going to move them down. Uh, barring, you know, the Ravens losing as well, too, or something like that. Uh, three of the last five games have been losses for Kansas City. And that's alarming. Uh, they didn't get off to a good start against the Raiders in a game that they won. Obviously, uh, they went on a crazy stretch to end the game, but still they're not getting off the hot starts, the you know the normal electric Kansas City start that we've seen from them these last five years. They're not getting that this year, which is kind of weird to say because they still have Patrick Mahomes. And when you look at the weapons, they might not be as good as what they were four or five years ago. Mahomes decided to really build like chemistry with guys like Rasheed Rice, and he he knows there's a playmaker in Kadarius Tony as well too. So it's a bit alarming that this offense hasn't you know hit off the way that we've seen it in in previous years. But I think they should be fine. There's a reason why they're still in the one spot. That's their defense, and that's also Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, and Baltimore's going to get the edge for me because they control their own destiny now. Uh, even though. Uh, Mark Andrews is a massive injury. They are considered the healthy of the top AFC teams here. Well, uh, compared to the entire NFL, I guess. So many quarterbacks are hurt. Um, Coming up, though, Rams at Jacksonville, at San Francisco, like you said, and then Miami and Pittsburgh. No, uh, you know, they're not going to walk in there and and blow them out like they may think they will. Um, Control your destiny. Good job done. We're on to the NFC now. I don't have any teams that I want to talk about that are outside my top five. Skylar, do you? Shout out Green Bay. Jordan Love and those young receivers are finally giving the defense some help. Green Bay is definitely a team I would shout out if I decided to shout out a team. Uh, But my number five spot is going to go to the LA Rams. Three straight victories for them. Two of them back-to-back now that I've been – Pretty convincing wins, 37 to 14 over the Cardinals two weeks ago, and then 36 to 19 over the Browns a couple days ago. They got a tough one this week, though. They go into Baltimore. If they win there, I'm 100% confident in, in this team and their ability to make the playoffs and, and stay on this top five list. This has been a team that I've been talking about for, you know, most of the year where if they get healthy, they, they can run into some trouble for some teams. And I think that's exactly what they're doing right now. I like the Rams a lot, even though they're only six and six, I think they should be a team that gets into the playoffs in the NFC. Uh, also got the Rams here sticking at number five. Anything is possible with a healthy Matt Stafford. Uh, so we found out a couple of days ago that I did have them dead after the Brett Rippon game, but uh, we're going to flip that because they're a hundred percent alive still. 
Number four is going to be where I put the Dallas Cowboys. Another great offensive showing. That's now four straight games where they go 49 points, 33 points, 45 points, 41 points. They're scoring 40-plus in three of their last four. We talked about this for a few teams with their schedule late in the season, and we're going to find out a lot about the Cowboys here in the later, later part of the season. Sunday night football against the Eagles this next week should be one of the most-watched regular season games this entire year uh, with the division on the line, not just, you know, two good teams going at it, the rivalry, all that stuff that goes into it. I'm really looking forward to that game. It's a big test for both these teams as well, too, especially both the Eagles and the performance last week. So sticking with the Cowboys, though, Dak's been amazing. Ron Bland has been amazing for the most part, except for in a few plays last week against the Seahawks. Uh, and I like this team a lot. So give me the Cowboys at four. I got Detroit still at the four spot. They escape the Jameis comeback game. Uh, the offense is much better with a healthy Montgomery, of course. But for me, it's it's week 17 at Dallas. Is That's the game. They got to win that one if they want to move up in my rankings. Yeah. I obviously don't have the same rankings as you, but I have Detroit at three, of course. They get back on track against the Saints. It was ugly towards the end, but they got off to such a hot start in that one, being up 21 to nothing within the first like seven minutes of the game. But they allowed themselves that, that cushion. So I'm okay with that win there. Bears, Broncos, Vikings, Cowboys, Vikings to end the season. Like you said, big game in week 17 against the Vikings. Uh, that's the one that circled for... The rest of the season, honestly, I think the rest of the games they should be buying in. Uh, and Detroit could be in a spot where they, you know, win 13, 14 games and get really high season in the playoffs, which is kind of crazy to think. Yeah, definitely crazy. Uh, I do have Dallas above them, though. Number three, a big win against Seattle. Seattle is a team that, again, they're not going to roll over either, even though there are a lot of NFC teams that have been rolling over. Uh, Dak, very impressive. Again, he proved he can lead the big-time comeback that he hadn't been doing the past couple of years. And although the DBs have been questionable, I feel they have less problems than the Lions do right now. Number two, it's got to be the Eagles. Tough loss on Sunday for them. But the good thing is for them is that you don't have to be better in December, you have to be better in January and February February when it really matters. It's a tough loss, though. There's no way that you can you know, possibly put them at the one spot right now. Uh, they have a chance to, I don't know about redeem themselves, but kind of prove themselves again against the Cowboys in Dallas this weekend. Sunday Night Football, like I just said a couple minutes ago. But they got exposed on Sunday. And so I guess it's a good way to address your weaknesses and, and go from there. And I don't think. They got themselves handed to them at home on Sunday last week. So, Eagles. Yeah, the Eagles completely embarrassed by San Francisco. This one wasn't even close. But I imagine they use this as motivation. Like I'm saying earlier, you know, we actually can't just walk in and beat everyone just by three, even on a bad day. You're going to lose. And instead of completely shutting down like some teams already have, you know, we've have the are are they dead for a reason it's because most teams quit after a game like that but uh that's up to you philly number one we gotta put the niners at this point it's uh i'd say probably the showing then the entire season last week against the eagles offense looked like a well oiled machine their defense was good throughout and they didn't really have to you know do much because their offense was just scoring every single drive for a touchdown so the defense was good. Offense was good. Rest of the regular season, 
Ravens on Christmas night should be a fun game. Uh, I'm curious to see how the Rams compete in that last game in week 18 because they looked a whole lot different, you know, week two or week three when they played the first time. But and I should be able to get in with four losses at most, which should be at least the three seed, I would say, yeah. uh, depending on how Detroit and you know Philly does and Dallas does at the end of the season. Yeah, San Francisco back at the top where they belong. At this point, it's not even a system. I don't even like the system argument for Brock Purdy anymore because this is a full machine now, not just a system. They're number yeah. one. Yeah. Moving on to our MVP talks. Our top five. Do you have a sixth person that you want to talk about or seventh or an eighth? Uh, I do have all of those, actually. A couple quarterbacks, Stroud, Jackson, Purdy. Uh, my number five guy that I'll talk about first is going to be CJ Stroud, who holds on to that top five spot. Uh, has the most yards in the NFL now at this point at 3,540, 20 touchdowns, five interceptions, a couple rushing touchdowns as well, too. Uh, he has a chance to climb this list if he continues to play well with one of his top wide receivers out with Tank Dell. Stroud's been amazing. I think he deserves to be in this conversation. And I think it, He's the overwhelming factor in that offense of why they're good. And that's exactly why I think Stroud should be on this list. All right. My number five is Patrick Mahomes dropping down a little bit, but stays on the list after the rough game in Lambeau. Um, you know, considering the circumstances here, all the bullshit they've had to deal with, they're most likely going to end up being the number one seed again, which is pretty crazy. Um, and not going to go unnoticed by me. My number four is the return of the defensive player. That's TJ Watt with 14 sacks this year, which is second in the NFL, only behind Khalil Mack. Difference between him and Khalil Mack is that he has more passes deflected. He has more interceptions. He has more foul ball recoveries. He has more, uh, probably didn't do a touchdown. Khalil Mack does have five forced fumbles compared to TJ Watt's three, but the Chargers suck. I think that's probably the main thing there. And and even though I think that, you know, the Steelers kind of suck as well too. The reason why they don't suck record wise is because of TJ Watt and that defense. Yeah. My number four is going to be Dak Prescott, the highest quarterback, you know, all, all the things we've been talking about when we went over Dallas here, he is in a, a pretty good offensive scheme for him, but I, I never thought it could get this great scoring 40 points a game like this and uh he's he's lived up to it 100 percent. i have Dak in my three spot as well too he uh i he's been really damn good and he's always had this you know stigma around him last year i think it was definitely deserved because he threw the most picks in the league but or he was just hated and regardless of the situation because he's you know is the quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys, and that's always going to come with hate. He's a really damn good football player, and he's a really good person as well, too. And mm-hmm. I know being a good person doesn't matter in MVP talks, uh, but he is one of the reasons on why this Cowboys team has been so good this year is because they've been so connected. And Dak's got over 3,000 yards. He's got 26 passing touchdowns, only six interceptions. Uh, and we really haven't seen the – you know, the thing that held back the Cowboys last year was their defense would get the ball back for them so many times, but Dak would just give it right back to the other team so quickly. Uh, he's not doing that this year. He's been really good in keeping the ball in their hands, and I think he's the main reason why this team is 9-3. and three. 
Number three, I got TJ Watt here. So we're on the same page. Another half sack and pass deflection on Kyler. Uh, but Trubisky couldn't score any points, unfortunately. For him, couldn't do it all by himself again. But just the fact that, you know, they have a chance to win just because of one guy on defense keeps him on the list. Yeah. My number two guy. Uh, here's where I put the Niner. I put CMC uh, at two. I didn't put Brock Purdy on my list. And I know he's technically the favorite. I think Vegas wise, I think him and Dak both have different sports betting pages at like plus 300 or whatever it is. But CMC, I think should be a bit higher than plus 3000 when it comes to the MVP list. And maybe that's just because it's a quarterback award and we know it's always going to be like that. And CMC is going to be a lock to be uh, maybe not the lock to be the Oat boy because Tyree kill, but regardless, this guy, I think outweighs the importance of what Purdy has done. And that's no shot on Purdy. It's just CMC has been the best back in the league this year. And it hasn't really been close. He's got 17 touchdowns. He's got nearly 1500 yards and we still got five games to play. And he'll probably maybe play four more. Maybe he gets rest one week or eh, maybe not with how good the NFC is at the top, but CMC, in my opinion, the guy that you have to put at the Niners MVP candidate over Purdy. I agree, and that's why CMC is also in the two spot for me. Uh, 133 from scrimmage, another touchdown, domination at Philly. He was running guys over the entire game, and you wouldn't expect that from him, but that's the kind of year it's been. He does not care who he's playing against. He's going to run through you. Yeah. My number one MVP this point in the season is back to being Tyree Kill. This guy... I was wrong for putting somebody else above him last week, but Tyreek is is a different animal. And if he gets 2,000 yards and, you know, 15, 16, 17 touchdowns, whatever it is at the end of the season, he does something that has never been done before in the NFL and he doesn't get the MVP, it sucks because it shouldn't be that way. And he's been, when you look at the true definition of the word, of the award, he's been the most valuable player in the league because – you can't stop him. There's literally nothing that you can do to stop him because he's faster than every other person in the league. You look at the play, his first touchdown against the commanders this past week, the first of two long touchdowns that he had in the game, he just ran straight by the guy. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't do any move. He didn't do anything. He just ran and he got by him and he scored a touchdown 78 yards like it was nothing. And he looked like he wasn't even at his top speed when he was running. He just has a different gear. Uh, and if he gets to 2,000 yards and he gets, you know, these records that have never been touched before, you don't give him the MVP, I think it's a bullshit award. Yeah, I'm 100% with you there because Tyreek is still at number one. He's been there since the midseason. Like you said, another two touchdowns obliterating the commander secondary. We could talk all day long about how this scheme doesn't work without him. But really, does Vegas have this wrong or – is it a, a sham award? Because we've had the same, you know, four out of five guys every single week this season. And I don't think that's just because we talk every day. You know, it seems like it's, it's deeper than that. Yeah. I also think the, the deterrence of like a very compelling QB hasn't been there this season until like a couple weeks ago where mm. you know people were talking about Dak or people are talking about Purdy but the case of Purdy is 
like our case for CMC kind of just goes directly against that at that point. So it's really tough to, you know, determine on how, why the voters see it that way and, and why it ends up being the way it is. But that, that's yes, what sir. we're for. We're stands for that at this point. MVP position player, not quarterback there. All right. Different award. Moving on to our redrafting NFL position groups from the 2023 draft. We're going to be doing quarterback first and then wide receiver. We have eight guys to go over uh, at the quarterback spot. That is uh, CJ Stroud, Will Levis, uh, Anthony Richardson, Bryce Young, AOC, Clayton Toon, Dorian Thompson Robinson, and Jaron Hall. I guess we'll start from the eight spot. Sure. All right. So my eight spots, Clayton Toon from Arizona Uh, and Arizona fucked this guy completely up. You know, he should have had a red shirt year coming out of Houston. The air raid doesn't translate right away, whether you're Patrick Mahomes or Case Keenum. Both of those guys had to sit for a couple of years to figure things out. You know, you don't have a huddle. You don't have a snap count when you're playing in an air raid system. And uh, when you run four verts every play, it's not going to translate. And I hope we see this guy again. I hope it didn't ruin his career because he had a really bad start. Clayton Toon is my eight spot as well, too. And he kind of got forced into this by his one start being in Cleveland on a week where they just traded their starting quarterback. So he didn't really have somebody to you know, be a mentor for mentor for him because Kyler was also trying to recover for his injury. Uh, he's appeared in four games this year, though. Only 62 passing yards, zero touchdowns, two interceptions. Sorry, Clayton Toon, but you have to be number eight so far. Mm. Number seven. Number seven, Jaron Hall from BYU and the Vikings. Uh, eight for 10, I believe, so far. Uh, when his number's called upon, he's been fine. But I assume Minnesota sees the issues we haven't yet since they traded for Dobbs and didn't let him start another game. So he's got to stay at seven for now. Yeah, uh, Jaron Hall by seven as well, too. He's appeared in two games, the game that Kirk Cousins got, uh, got hurt in. And then he started the next week in... Atlanta before getting a concussion, I believe, and having to come off of the field in that one. Uh, but he just want to know, technically. I know Josh Dobbs won that game, but it still goes as a W for Jaron Hall. He had 101 passing yards, no touchdowns, no picks. He didn't look bad. He was actually solid in, in the spurts that he had. I think there's a case where he – or there's a chance that he could get back on the field at some point if you know Josh Dobbs plays the way that he did in Denver – and throws four picks, mm-hmm. or not in Denver, uh, Chicago, or I guess I was in Minnesota, but against Chicago a couple weeks ago where he had a really bad, bad game. If Dobbs continues to have bad games, what's the harm in just throwing Jaron Hall out there and giving him a shot, especially if you lose the games with Dobbs and you're kind of out of the playoff race at that point? Moving on, yeah. Number six, I got DTR of the Browns. Uh, won a game and finished it as a starter, but I'm not really sure he can make NFL throws. Uh, he's gotten popped a couple times and uh, obviously he's still out with the concussion. So far, it just looks like a backup, but obviously I don't think we've seen the last of him. Yeah, DTR is my sixth spot as well, too. He uh, was a guy who had a really damn good preseason and had some people saying, hey, you know, maybe – this is a good spot where he's going to be backing up to Sean Watson. He's going to be, you know, maybe thrusted into one or one or two games a year. And 
and have some exciting plays. And he's gone into five games so far with the, you know injuries around the entire uh, Browns quarterback room, and he's been terrible. Unfortunately, he's one and two, so he did have a win, but it's fifty three point two percent completion per completion rate is not there. Four hundred twenty nine passing yards, one touchdown, four interceptions. He's a playmaker. Don't get me wrong, but at this point. He's a playmaker for the wrong team. And maybe that comes with maturity and sitting behind Deshaun Watson, who I think is actually, you know, perfect quarterback if Deshaun Watson decides to be, you know, a solid mentor for him, uh, regardless of, you know, the situation of there's really no way DTR can actually take Watson's starting job. So we'll see how much, you know, they really invest to that. Uh, but DTR hasn't looked good, unfortunately. But I like him a lot. I like what he did in college. I liked what he did in the preseason. I think he has potential to be, you know, a solid backup in the league. Mm-hmm. Number five. Number five, we got Aiden O'Connell of the Raiders, the first of the competent quarterbacks. Uh, another guy who would have benefited from sitting for a year, but we all know uh, there's another guy who got thrown into the fire unexpectedly. Uh, he should stick around the league. You can tell the knowledge of the pro-style offense translated from Purdue. Um, he's going to get another shot, I'm sure, even if Raiders draft a guy, which is probably going to happen. Yeah. Uh, AOC seems like the easy five right now. O'Connell you know, hasn't been great by any measures, but he also hasn't been bad. He's had good games. He was good against Kansas City. Besides one throw against the Jets, he was good. Uh, he was good against the Giants. He just had a really bad game against the Dolphins a couple weeks ago. And then he also didn't look good in his first start against the Chargers and Week four, I want to say, when McDaniels was still there. But he's doing three. Uh, 63.5% completion percent is pretty solid for a rookie. Uh, just under 1,200 passing yards, four touchdowns, six interceptions, and a rushing touchdown. Obviously, I've seen what O'Connell can do from a bit more closer perspective than what a lot of people have since I've you know watched all of his games. And it was even there, I guess, for his first career start. He... Uh, He's old. That's that's his fucking problem is that he's not 21. He's 25. He's a guy who should be in his third or fourth year at this point. And he's in his first year as an NFL quarterback, which I guess, you know, isn't a bad thing in the grand scheme of things. He should be a bit more mature, but there is no upside with him, in my opinion. I think mm-hmm. he's a guy who could end up being a luxury backup for teams. But if the Rangers go into next season and Aiden O'Connell is their, you know, QB of the future in their eyes, I think we are in a terrible spot. So I hope he doesn't crazily impress and becomes a backup because I don't mind him either. On the number four, this is where we get to, I guess, if you want to call it a big four, the big four of this year's draft class. So I do have Bryce Young here and I kind of feel bad. Uh, grading him this harshly because he's in a really fucked up environment. You know, uh, that the thing is though, Kyle, I have experience watching former top prospects try to develop in said environment. Uh, Carolina has got to figure this shit out quickly because when you have a quarterback in a bad system, you get hurt trying to do too much. And then when you come back, you lose confidence in your skills and then you stop throwing the ball deep. And I, I feel like he's getting set up for failure. And we all know he's not, the fourth most talented quarterback in the class. He's much better than that. But right now it's hard to grade him higher because you just know he's going to fail this year. Yeah. It's really tough to see the vision with young. And that's why he's in my four spot right now, because it looks like Carolina is just ruining him. He's not on a good team at all. They're 
one in ten in his starts, one eleven in total with the game that he missed in like week two or week three against the Seahawks. Uh, nine touchdowns, nine interceptions at this point is just awful. He's too small. I don't think he succeeds in the NFL being at the weight that he's at. And he's at a point where he's not mobile enough to really make his height be a favor for him. Because we see it with Kylo Murray where he's able to maneuver in ways that we haven't seen quarterbacks do because he is so small and he's so low to the ground that he's quicker. He's more agile than some other guys. Bryce Young just doesn't have that. I know the arm talent is supposed to be there and, you know, maybe with the guys that he has, he doesn't really have the ability to do that. Uh, we've seen flashes up with it with Thielen and some of the games that he's had and, and a smart receiver like him, but it's really tough for the Bryce Young crowd right now. And, and that, I think he has to be your number four guy unless you're, you know, pulling the injury card with Anthony Richardson or something like that. Mm-hmm. Number three. Number three, I have Will Levis. Uh, the two and four record as a starter is not great, but this guy is an absolute cannon. Seven touchdowns, two interception ratio. Let's get this guy some help next year. Let's get him more than an old DeAndre Hopkins. I have Richardson at the three spot. And I mean, you could have guessed this based off of how I've you know graded these quarterbacks in the past. Richardson, I think, is has the ability to be really damn good in this league. But, you know, in the four or five games that he's played, he's like gotten hurt in every single game. Uh, I know two of the games he got hurt early and had to come out. Uh, but even in, in one of the games that he came out late in, it was like completely over. And he decided to go make a run where, you know, he didn't have to do being up 14 points or whatever it was in week one or week two. He has only thrown one interception, though, in, in those four starts that he made. 577 passing yards, but seven touchdowns, four rushing, three passing shows you the playmaker that this guy can be. I'm just scared in the fact that he's going to do something that cost him his career in the way that he's a bit too aggressive in getting yards. And I think that's something that we see quarterbacks usually learn over time and to, you know, learn what hits to take, especially if you're a franchise quarterback. With Richardson, I'm just scared. Uh, and I also like Levis. And I like Shad, of course, too. So mm-hmm. he's there's the three spot. Number two. I do have Anthony Richardson above Levis here. Uh, I'm viewing this as more of a freak incident and something, like you said, he, he could improve on. A 2-2 two two record in about two and a half games due to injuries, of course. But he's shown flashes of elite play, you know, especially during uh, a rookie head coach's first couple of games. I didn't think it would look that smooth. So, in my eyes, next season, week one, he's right there ready to roll with, you know, a year of watching Minshew under his belt, like it is a redshirt year. Levis is my two. And I know they're they're two and four, but I think with Tennessee and that roster, it's really tough to win a lot of games. Uh, 57.8% completion percentage is something that you can kind of expect from him. Obviously, I think we should be seeing that higher at some point, but for his first year and the type of quarterback that Will Levis is, you kind of expect this. He has that downfield presence in him, and that's why he has you know over 1,200 yards in his first six games, seven touchdowns and two interceptions. He's not afraid to throw the ball deep. Only problem is that the Titans don't really do that too well on their mm-hmm. offense. And DeAndre Hopkins, I know, has been an amazing downfield presence in the early part of his career, but he just doesn't get down there quick enough sometimes. And he's not, you know, 
that established route runner. I know he's great coming to the goal line. He's great going up at 50-50 balls, but it's really tough to scheme plays downfield when you just don't have the time to throw. Uh, he's made plays, though, and, and I like Levis a lot, and he's my two guy. And number one, Skyler, I wonder who this will be. Yeah, so I got um, my man from Tennessee, Hennon Hooker, number one. No, mm-hmm. not really. Shout out to him, though, uh, coming back from the torn ACL. But it's it's C.J. Stroud. The 20 touchdowns, five interceptions is insane for a rookie. Those are like Andrew Luck, RG3 numbers. Uh, the real thing about C.J. Stroud, I think that's going to make him elite, though, He's got a pretty good mix already of when to stay in the pocket and when to go create his play. You know, he's not out there throwing his head when he he doesn't need to go diving for a first down, you know. And uh, it's pretty fun to watch. And I'm going to get to watch him destroy the Jets. Hopefully not too bad. We got a pretty good defense, but they're going to get the win. Yeah, I think the biggest single Stroud that you, you see from rookie quarterbacks is you either see one of two things. You see a quarterback that gets locked on a, one or two reads and he throws picks that way, or there's guys that just jump through the reads and they make bad decisions because they don't know what the heck they're doing. And finding that happy medium is what makes a good quarterback. And Stroud's came in the league and just done it like it's nothing. And he hasn't thrown interceptions and he's been able to extend plays with his feet and not just running the ball to get yards, but running the ball to open up spots downfield for his wide receivers to get open. And maybe that's, you know, the chemistry that he has super early with like a Nico Collins or Tank Dell or even Noah Brown and Dalton Schultz. But it's obviously impossible to not put Stroud at the number one spot this early into the draft because he's been so much better than everybody else. But you have the legitimate makings of a guy who can be a league MVP and in the NFL because of his arm talent and his intelligence and his, his readiness so early in his career and not just in his career, but in life. Cause he's super young as a quarterback too. He's not like a 25 year old rookie or something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. All right. We'll be back with some receivers after this. Moving on to wide receivers. We have 15 guys that we're going to talk about today. And they go as follows. Jackson Smith and Jigba, Quentin Johnson, Zay Flowers, Jordan Addison, Jonathan Mingo, Jaden Reed, Rasheed Rice, Marvin Mims Jr., Tank Dell, Jalen Hyatt, Josh Downs, Michael Wilson, Trey Tucker, Dontavion Wicks, and Puka Nakua. We started with number 15, I guess, Skeller. Who did you put in the 15 spot? I do, unfortunately, have Trey Tucker here. And it's no slight, but he's more of a special teams guy, and he should be elite, right? You know, probably uh, the ceiling here is a, a good wide receiver three or four. But, hey, I could be completely wrong. That's just what I see. Man's hella fast. Uh, unfortunately, I do have Trey Tucker in the 15 spot as well, too. He only has eight catches, 161 yards in those eight catches. Uh, with 63 rushing yards, is kind of, you know, Bennett's thing. He's the playmaker in the offense where – He's going to be the fourth wide receiver because there's no way that you're going to put him on the field over, you know, Devontae, Jacoby Myers, and Hunter Renfro. But when he's on the field, he's a guy that you kind of have to look at and say, oh, shit, this guy can beat us for a touchdown. And while he hasn't, you know, had that touchdown yet, he's had a couple deep shots. He's had a couple bursts on run plays. Uh, that makes me say that, hey, this guy can actually, you know, do something for offense. I think he's, you know, obviously you're not going to be a Tyreek Hill or something like that, but he offer, offers – good speed to teams and, or to the Raiders. And that's something that you can't teach. He, he's fast. He's good. And I think he's going to have an impact on the league at some point. Mm-hmm. Number 14. 
14, I got Marvin Mims out in Denver. Uh, pretty good gadget guy so far. And um, he definitely could develop into something, but that's pretty much just what I see him as. Uh, and that's been fine for Denver. Yeah. Uh, Marvin Mims is my 14 spot as well, too. I think there's a chance that Trey, you could technically put Trey Tucker over this, just in the sense that Marvin Mims has more, you know, snaps and mm-hmm. he's on a lesser of a wide receiver core the way that he's going to be getting the ball more regardless of how good he is uh again i think Marvin Mims is a gifted player and he, he's going to serve you know a, a good purpose in this league 16 receptions 287 yards and a touchdown as well as some some valuable special teams presence as well too uh looks like a deep shot type guy is what i would say number 13 this is where it starts to get interesting Scott. Oh, yeah. So I have Jonathan Mingo here from Carolina. Uh, he's got the size for it, but just some question marks, man. Carolina tried to trade him at the deadline. He's got no touchdowns. It's most likely a product of the Panthers, but a, a lot of other guys have shown more than him so far. Uh, I'm okay with that. I decided to put Quinton Johnston as the number 13 guy, and I know – you know, he's the fourth receiver in their offense at some point. I think he's probably the third now. Uh, obviously, with no Mike Williams and, and Palmer being out, but he's had weeks at the two, and he has not impressed for the Chargers. He's a guy who technically only has one drop, according to football reference, but we know that there's mm-hmm. some bigger plays than that in there. Uh, and the stat of drops has always been something that's been a bit wishy-washy. In total, 26 catches, 242 yards, and a touchdown. He's been terrible. Uh, he's a guy who, if you draft a wide receiver in that position, you expect to do a lot more than what he's done. And he's got a great quarterback. You know, the system is something, but Kellen Moore is ahead of that, and we know he's a gifted mind at this point. So I think uh, Quentin Johnson looks like a bust through his first, you know, three quarters of his first season in the NFL. Yeah, I, I got Quentin Johnson here at the 12th. Uh, everything about the Chargers offense has been underwhelming this season, including Quentin Johnston. He can make some plays that nobody in this class can even attempt, but I, I wouldn't bet on the Chargers figuring this one out. It, it just looks like uh, just a miss. That's it. Yeah. Number 12 for me is going to be Dontavion Wicks. And this is kind of where I start getting to the guys. Uh, I'm like, oh, shit, this guy's actually kind of good. Yeah. And Octavian Wicks has been a playmaker for the Packers this year. He's not going to be a guy who has, you know, eight catches in a game. But so far, he's got 23 catches for 374 yards and a touchdown. Uh, I don't think he's ever going to be a guy with a thousand yards or anything like that. So I'm not saying that. But he has the ability to make plays downfield, and he's good with the ball in his hands. So Octavian Wicks slides into the 12 spot for me. Yeah, I got Dontavian Wicks right above you, number 11. Uh, great find in the fifth round for Green Bay. Ten yards per target is uh, is pretty great, comparable to some of the guys I have up here. And also Shahid in New Orleans has pretty identical advanced metrics to him, which is cool. But he's not going to be a superstar. Number 11 for me is going to be where I do slot Jonathan Mingo. Uh, underwhelming first rookie season or Rookie season, I guess it's not a first rookie season. You only get one anyways. Blake uh, got two. That's true. That's true. <laughs> Chad Holgram got two. And Simmons got two. But maybe not in the NFL. We don't see it too often. Uh, regardless, Jonathan Mingo, maybe it's a chemistry thing with Bryce Young where they haven't really hit it off yet. And they're both young. And they're just, you know, 
used to different things. And I think that's a, you know, valid excuse if you want to say that, but when there's all these other guys in this you know, draft class that have been so good, it's really hard to use that and really be satisfied with that as an excuse. Uh, I wouldn't call it a miss quite yet because it is still early and he does have 34 catches on the season, which is quite a bit compared to some of these other guys. But no touchdowns, only 355 yards. I, I'm not impressed. Number 10. I got the New York Giant, Jalen Hyatt here. At the 10 spot, a great deep ball threat in a shitty offense, which is unfortunate. So I can't really give him a fair grade. I just kind of threw him in the 10 spot here because we haven't seen him do much yet. But he's going to be around for sure. He's got some crazy speed, some crazy jumping, and some pretty good hands. Number 10 for me is where I slot the Stanford receiver, Michael Wilson. 28 catches, 435 yards, and two touchdowns. He's missed his last three games, so... You know, we haven't seen him be integrated back with Kyler Murray and how that does, but he was good with Dobbs and he's had some big games already in his career. Uh, how that role expands into the future is going to be interesting because obviously you see Arizona with the chance to, you know, get a pretty substantially good wide receiver in this upcoming draft class and kind of take his role. But Michael Wilson's been a good find for them. I don't really think they expected too much from him and the, they're getting more than what. I had in mind for him that is number nine. Yeah, my number nine is Michael Wilson. I like Wilson a lot. Uh, he looks like a guy who could be a solid number two. And I, like you said, I really want to see him play with Kyler because it, if it's not a health issue, a guy like Michael Wilson in the, the later rounds, day two, could prevent you from taking that first round receiver and, and help you go after a, a tackle. Go get some O line, help Kyler, make sure he doesn't hurt himself again. So this is. Uh, I think bigger than just a, a receiver ranking for Michael Wilson. Yeah. I, at number nine, I do have Jalen Hyatt. 17 catches, 330 yards, no touchdown. The, the numbers are not impressive. But with the state of the quarterback and, you know, having Daniel Jones for, you know, a couple games, Tyrod Taylor for a couple of games, Danny De, not Danny DeVito, Tommy DeVito for a couple of games, it's really tough to build chemistry, especially for a guy who thrives off these plays that you have to be perfect on. If you, you know, are doing it, catching a slant and getting 15 to 10 yards, 10 to 15 yards, you don't have to be that perfect on it. But if you're throwing the deep ball and you're getting the ball downfield, you have to be spot on with it. And he hasn't really found a quarterback that's able to get him the ball super consistently yet. He's had a couple big plays downfield. Um, and I don't think the Giants have really used him as well as what they probably should have, but I think there's potential in Hyatt. I think there's, you know, he's going to have games in his career where he has, you know, 160 yards and two touchdowns Mm -hmm. on like four catches or something like that. And that's, that's exactly what I think pretty much everybody expected from Jalen Hyatt going into this season. Number eight. My number eight is going to be Rishi Rice, another guy struggling with the drops, but becoming a big-time red zone target for Patrick Mahomes, and that usually works out in the end. So I'm not too worried about Rishi Rice. My number eight is where I went with Josh Downs. He has 51 catches, 580 yards, and two touchdowns uh, already in the season. He's been good for the Colts and – it just shows the depth uh, of this year's class where Josh Downs has actually been really good. And he's been the eighth best receiver in mm-hmm. my opinion. I know you have him a bit higher than I do, but 
this guy's good. He he doesn't, you know, extremely excel at one specific thing, but he's kind of good at a lot of different things. And, and I think that's, you know, what makes a lot of these good receivers in the league be great. I'm not saying Downs is going to be a great receiver, but he's definitely got a thousand yard potential in his career. Number seven. Number seven, I have JSN. Uh, in my opinion, he's been really disappointing. Um, yeah, I know Kyle's a bit shocked right now, but I know you can't always tell with the drops. For me, it's it's more about the eye test. You know, the numbers look the same as as the guys I have ranked 12th here. And he just doesn't look like an elite player. Uh, he's not very quick. Uh, he's, you know, I've seen with my own eyes him drop some some pretty easy passes. And I'm not completely sold right now. Because I'm starting him in fantasy this week. <laughs> Uh, my number seven is going to be Rushy Rice, though. Uh, 52 catches, 591 yards, and the five touchdowns is what sticks out to you. I saw him torch the Raiders a couple weeks ago, and it wasn't the way they expected it. It was with the ball in his hands downfield and moving around and making plays on his feet. And Rushy Rice is pretty good, man. I, I don't think... You know, we're going to be ever screaming his name as like a top 15 receiver or something like that. Maybe we do with, you know, Mahomes inflating his numbers, but he's good. And he's going to be fitting, fitting well once he gets his second, third year in Kansas City for sure. Number six. Number six, I got Jaden Reed from the Packers here. Crazy catch radius for a guy who's under six feet. And uh, another great find for Green Bay, man. He's already helping out Love a lot. You know, former... Western Michigan transfer, we know some of those air raid schools produce great receivers. Yeah. Number six for me also is going to be Jaden Reed. 40 catches, 513 yards, five touchdowns in the air, and one on the ground as well, too. Big-time playmaker. And we've seen in year one of Jordan Love, he has become a red zone favorite target and a scheme favorite target from the floor and getting him the ball because he knows he's going to be able to make plays with it. Uh, Jaden Reed, again, another guy probably is max 1200 yard season in his career, but I think he's a good guy. I think he's good. I think he fits in well with that offense and he's going to make some big plays this year and in in these next, you know, few years at least with Green Bay. Number Number five is where I have my guy Josh Downs in Indianapolis, one of my steals from the draft. And I stand by that still. Uh, my five to eight range isn't that big. I think you feel a similar way here. And once AR gets back, that should be his favorite target. That's, you know, throughout the entire offseason and preseason, that's why I was preaching Indianapolis, because those two seem to fit very well together. Yeah. My number five is going to be Zay Flowers. I know you have him a bit higher than I do. (laughs) And I like Zay Flowers. I really do. 58 catches is... Near the top, I believe it's second in the rookie receivers this year. Uh, 613 yards, two touchdowns, and a rushing touchdown as well, too. He's a wide receiver, too, already in that Baltimore offense. Maybe even you know wide receiver one you can make the case for, depending on how you want to slot OBJ and a couple other guys that they have. <laughs> He's dangerous, man, when he has the ball in his hands. You can just see him fly, and you can you can see him go. He had a play callback a couple weeks ago on, on that. That game against the Bengals where he just mm-hmm. he got the ball and he went. And I know it ended up getting called back for a holding, but he's got the ability to really, you know, be the focal point in a game plan. 
when there's Lamar Jackson in the offense, and I think that's what makes it super dangerous where Lamar Jackson's got speed. You know, Keaton Mitchell, we've seen him have speed on, uh, at the running back position and having Zay Flowers outside and being able to use his legs. He's, he's going to be – he could be really dangerous in Baltimore, man. Number four. Yeah, I got Zay Flowers at four. Ridiculously fast. He's got all the traits in the world. And once Odell Beckham's gone, I believe he's going to step right in there and just take over the offense. Like you were saying, it's going to be dangerous. I think – I wouldn't say superstar for these top five guys, but definitely in the realm of these guys can be top five, top 15 receivers at mm-hmm. some point in their career uh, and higher than that for some of these people as well too. Uh, my number four is going to be JSN. I, I know that's higher than you have him, but what did that got? There's 468 receiving yards and two touchdowns. As a wide receiver three in this offense is something I'm very content with. I think his role is not exactly what he's been used to playing. I think he won't be playing that role for long because I think Lockett probably ends up leaving after the season. That is true. Uh, and he takes Lockett's role seamlessly because I think he fits a lot better as that type of receiver than what he's kind of being forced to do right now. He has had better games recently. He's seeing more targets. He's catching the ball more. And I know you said some of the things that he's done has been a bit questionable. But like I said, I don't really think that's that role is going to be something that sticks with him later on into his career based off of the you know projections that I have for that Seattle team in the future. Oh, yeah. All right. I got your guy Tank Dell here. Um, seven touchdowns before getting hurt. That's tied for first. All the rookies. Um, you got your number one for Stroud. Great fit. Obviously not in the first round. Great find. It's a good scheme fit. Like we're talking about the air raid prospects. You know, I, I mentioned it with Clayton Toon. It could be tough for those quarterbacks to learn a new system, but the receivers can usually slide in right away. They're used to dealing with mayhem and uh, it's been pretty awesome. To watch him. My number three is going to be Jordan Addison. Seven touchdowns is the most out of anybody in the rookie class besides Tank Dell. Him and Addison are tied. 686 receiving yards and 54 receptions. Addison has been really good. And I think once we saw Kirk go down, we expected him to kind of decline and not have the same amount of you know, influence in the offense, but with the injury of Justin Jefferson, he's kind of stepped up and had to be a wide receiver one for that team. And I think he, he's benefited off of that. We'll see how it goes back to at the end of the season where he's a wide receiver two and they have Hawkinson and Josh Dobbs is on the field or Jaron Hall, whoever that ends up being. His numbers might dip, but I like what I've seen from Addison so far. He's definitely got the ability, if Justin Jefferson decides to stay in Minnesota, to be one of the most lethal wide receiver duos in the league. <laughs> Number two. Number two, I got Puka Nakua, LA Rams. The touches have obviously gone down with Cooper Cup and, you know, being banged up this season. But what a surprise, man. That just goes to show you what happens when you have a receiver that can create separation. You got a quarterback that has no fear. They've been pretty good. Their, you know, average team is now in the playoff hunt when I had them yeah. dead. My number two. It's got to be Tank Dell. Uh, 709 yards, seven touchdowns, 47 receptions. Early on in the season, he was a guy where, you know, one game he'd have a catch and, you know, eight yards or, you know, 18 yards, whatever it is. 
Uh, and then the next week he had five catches for 120 yards and a touchdown. It was just based off of his 60 or 70 yard touchdown. This was, you know, past like five or six weeks, he really became a guy where he wasn't just being looked at as a deep threat. He had, you know, a lot of routes and plays that were built for him that weren't just, you know, trying to score one play touchdown off of. And I mean, he, he's versatile. He has a bigger catch radius than what I expected. Obviously, physically wise, he's not 100% there because he is like 5'10, 165, and the muscle stuff, like muscle matter, isn't quite mm-hmm. there yet. You build that up over his career. We've seen shorter receivers still have fantastic careers in the NFL. I think he's going to be great in this league, uh, and he's a super dynamic playmaker for the, the Texans. Number one. I got Jordan Addison at the top, Kyle. I believe he's the best route runner in the class. Seven touchdowns tied for first, like we said. And this was my top receiver coming into the draft. Uh, the question marks were that he's only a slot guy. He can't help in the red zone. Well, you know, over half his touchdowns were from being a big body in the back of the end zone. And uh, I love it. This is why I drafted him in all my fantasy leagues, even though I traded him to Brett. It's, it still worked out for me. Um, where were we here? Uh, nothing to worry about. The best route runner in the class. My number one is going to be Puka. He, he's got to stay at number one for me. 77 catches is 19 more than any other guy in this class. Over 1,000 yards already is ridiculous. Over 300 more than any other guy. Four touchdowns, you know, not as high as Addison or, or Tank Dell, but it's still, you know, not some terrible number or anything like that. Puka, he's just really good all around. I I think the biggest thing that sticks out to him is his, his intelligence and, you know, possession and route running and kind of the, the wherewithal uh, as a rookie receiver is not something that we see super often. Maybe being with Matthew Stafford has helped him quite a bit because, you know, mm-hmm. Stafford's been a guy who has ha- led to two of the greatest wide receiver seasons that we've ever seen in Cooper Cup and Calvin Johnson. But Puka has been really, really good. And, Seeing the speed is something that we haven't seen much of until last week. He had that 70-yard touchdown where most of it was, you know, catch and go. And getting into the end zone was the thing that he kind of struggled with early in the year where he was, you know, had 10, 15 catch games, but there was no touchdown. And there were, I don't know. He, he's been great. I understand putting Addison at one and mm-hmm. maybe if you put him in – that Rams offense, he has numbers more closer to Puka's. I don't think he really has those numbers quite yet. I think Puka's been the best rookie wide receiver, but I definitely understand the argument for, you know, wanting some other guys in the conversation as well, too. It's always good just to have the conversation. Yeah. Like we don't always agree. What but at the end pod- of the day, I'll be right. No, what right. other <laughs> podcast is talking about Clayton Toon, Jaron Hall, and Trey Tucker in December? Yeah. <sighs> Not a lot of them, man. That's for sure. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> Moving on, though, to the second half, Skyler. Yeah. How about this college football playoff? Well, um, it, it seems like we got the best four teams. Uh, I'm a little upset, I guess. I feel for the Florida State fans, but they weren't going to win. So let's let's get into here. Uh, let's just talk about our first reactions here. So January 1st, New Year's Day. That's going to be when they play. We got a month to debate this. Alabama, Michigan. Michigan's one point favor. Looks like it's up to one and a half over the past couple hours. I'm leaning Alabama, 
to be honest with you. I feel like Michigan's not going to be able to stop this offense. Um, but I, I feel like this is going to be a closer game than we would have gotten if it was, say, uh, Georgia or even Florida State. I, Bama looks pretty unstoppable right now, and I think there's a lot of case for you to say that they're going to win the Natty, and I don't mm-hmm. think anybody can be like, no, like right now. It's, it's definitely something that is up up there in you know, uncertainty at this point. Bama looks really good, and Michigan has obviously looked really good this entire year, but Michigan just doesn't have – I know you can make your play, case for Quorum and Edwards, but they don't have that guy on their mm-hmm. team. And you see that in Alabama, especially in Jalen Milrow, in, in these last, you know, six to seven games consecutive now. Where in the first, you know, five, he looked like shit, and he even got benched. Yeah. Um you know, we feel for Alex, but it uh, seems like we're both on the Bama side. Once J.J. McCarthy's going to have to throw at some point in the game, they can't just hide him. you got guys like Dallas Turner, Kool-Aid McKinstry, Terrion Arnold. They're all going to go in the first 40 picks of the draft. Um, so uh, interesting. And again, maybe things will change, but that's what we got for now. The second game, though, for that night, January 1st, we got number two Washington against number three Texas in the Sugar Bowl Washington's an interesting team because it seems like they kind of changed their philosophy halfway through the season. They stopped going air raid with Michael Penix and they started just pounding the rock and controlling the ball. And instead of scoring 40, they would win 23 to 20. Then you got Texas. Texas has done the complete opposite ever since Quinn Ewers got back. He's been lighting it up. But right now, you know what? I, I don't think Texas can run the ball like Washington can. I'm leaning for the Washington upset here. Texas favored by four. I need Washington as well, too, right now. Obviously, we got a ton of time until this game yeah. happens. So. But yeah, and uh, I guess if I had to pick a, a winner, I, I would pick Bama over Washington. Yeah, I agree. Well, all right. Uh, quick little first reaction, because obviously this is something we were talking about all weekend. And uh, I also got a top 10 mock draft. It's been enough time, uh, and we don't have a whole lot of time, but it's just... The order changes all the time. So let's get into it. Uh, number one, Chicago Bears. I didn't do a trade. I just have them straight up taking Marvin Harrison Jr. I think it's going to be pretty weird trying to trade Justin Fields if you take Caleb Williams. And as of today, just take the receiver. Who cares? People are talking about, well, trade back, but trade with someone who's not going to come up. Someone's going to jump him. Everyone's looking for Marvin Harrison. Just take the dude. Unfortunately, that leaves the Patriots with uh, their option for any quarterback, including Caleb Williams. So that's where I have them going. Um, man, that will be crazy whether Belichick is there or not. Uh, number three, Arizona, kind of a wild card here. Um, I'm sure they are looking Marvin Harrison's way, but I haven't taken Kool-Aid McKinstry actually from Alabama. It seems like one of these top corners always goes in the top five and, um, because it's, it's a very valuable position in this game and not a lot of people talk about it. You need three great corners to compete. So Arizona is going to grab one. Number four, Washington. They're going to go boring. Uh, Sam Howell looks really good, but he also gets sacked seven times every game. So let's get him Olu Fashanu. Penn State tackle. Played really well against Michigan. Uh, similar here with the next pick, Chicago, with their second pick in the top five. Joe Alt, 6'8", monster from Notre Dame. It's the closest we've seen to a Joe Staley-type tackle in a while. Pretty safe. So I'm on board with that pick. Number six would be the Jets, but there's nothing they like, so they trade back 
Tampa Bay comes up for Drake May. You don't like that? <laughs> Number seven. Like uh, well, I'm sorry. Well, I, we got a breaking trade scale. Yeah, go ahead. The New York Yankees are acquiring outfielder Alex Verdugo in a trade with the Boston <laughs> Red Sox for right-handers Richard Fitz, Greg Weiser, and Nicholas Justice. Come on now. That what is, are we doing? We got a rare Yankees-Red Sox trade that was broken by Jeff Passan, so you know it's fucking true. Uh, Greg Weiser? <laughs> are we serious, I, guys? I don't want to see that ugly fucking a fucking defense drive, dude. Oh, oh. Wow. <laughs> wow. We're going to talk MLB in a few minutes. So. We will. We will. Okay. That? We got a couple but more. I'll let, I'll let you get back to, <laughs> to what you were saying, Skylar. Anyways, Tampa Bay, uh, even though Baker's been okay, they're going to take their quarterback if he's there. Drake May. Number seven, the Giants, kind of a no man's land, but I'm a, a believer in giving Danny Dimes another shot. So let's get him Brock Bowers. He can help in the pass pro, and he's an athletic freak in the receiving game. Number eight, Tennessee gets a receiver. Malik Neighbors from LSU. I'm not as high on him as the league is, I guess, because he's you know kind of a one-trick pony, kind of a Jalen Waddle type guy. But in the right system, of course, it can work. So he's going to go in the top ten. Number nine, New Orleans. Let's get him. Dallas Turner, great edge rusher. That's kind of their identity. Um, of course, they could trade up for somebody, too. Their offense is uh, – I don't want to say in shambles, but a little disappointing. And number 10, my Jets, J.C. Latham, right tackle from Alabama, immediate starter. And, you know, if he's going to be there at 10, don't take him at six. Trade back. Uh, we'll go one more pick. 11, Las Vegas. Dane Daniels. Yes, sir. Mark Davis that's, said it, man. That's what should happen. Some electricity in the building. You know, I would love that, Skylar. You know I would. Oh, yeah. All right, that's it, man. That's all we did. I was going to do the, the whole thing, but I was taking notes for about three hours and said, fuck that. No one's even going to hear the rest of this. So we'll do it another time when we get a little closer to the draft. All right, moving on to our MLB reactions. I'll, I'll just go over some of the stuff that we've seen since the last time we've talked baseball a couple of weeks ago. Uh, first of which, the Mariners trade Eugenio Suarez to the Arizona Diamondbacks uh, to kind of take the Evan Longoria role. The Mariners got back Carlos Vargas and Sebi Zavala, so nothing too crazy. Vargas has some good stuff out of the bullpen, but Zavala is a backup catcher at best. A couple days later, the Tigers signed Kenta Maeda to a two-year deal, $24 million. Detroit has actually had one of the best rotations in baseball post-All-Star break. I think they had the best, actually, ERA-wise. Kenta Maeda adds to the back end of that. So good job to the Tigers in bolstering the starting rotation, which I believe is probably the most important part of your team. Uh, next day, we saw Jason Hayward return to the Dodgers on a one-year, $9 million deal. Who would have thought uh, when a team just completely revitalizes your ability to hit something that hasn't been seen in the last five years for you, you decide to stick with them. Pretty smart there. Same day, Sonny Gray, this was a big move of that day. Sonny Gray signed with the St. Louis Cardinals on a three-year deal. Uh, so good grab for the Cardinals there. The rotation is old as shit, but as long as they're throwing innings, I guess that's good for them. A couple days later, small move, Garrett Hampson signs with the Royals. Uh, I wouldn't call this a big move for the next one, but 
something substantial. Luis Severino signs a one-year, $13 million deal with the New York Mets. So he stays in New York, but goes to the Mets here. Uh, has a high ceiling if everything works out well, but obviously has that low ceiling or low floor that we saw you know, last year and him just being completely awful. Next day, one of the more underrated moves that we saw and I think has been – honestly really good. Nick Martinez signs a two-year, $26 million deal with the Cincinnati Reds. Yeah. Uh, includes an opt-out after the first season. This is a great move for the Reds. I Watching them last year, you know, even though they were hurt for most of the time, having their one, two, three, where they had Abbott, Hunter Green, and Lodolo, I think is ideal. But struggling to find a consistent four or five guy that you can really go to, whether that's Williamson or... Uh, Graham Ashcraft or whoever you really wanted to go with. It was, it was kind of struggle to find a consistent guy to, to end that rotation. I think Nick Martinez does a perfect job uh, of getting that in. So I like that move. Uh, a couple days later, December 3rd, two days ago, the Atlanta Braves acquired Jared Kalanick, left-hander Marco Gonzalez and Evan White from the Seattle Mariners for right-hander Jackson Kowar and Cole Phillips. Just looks like an absolute fleece. I know we don't have a ton of time to talk about this, but. Looks like the fleece. Mm. All the upside is on the Braves side here. Uh, and then a couple moves today. Chris Davinsky signed with the Tampa Bay Rays. You know, somehow they're going to make him throw 95 again and use his weird delivery to be good. And then Eric Fetty goes to the Chicago White Sox on a two-year, $15 million deal. He was named the MVP of the KBO last year with the 2.0 ERA after being shit in the MLB for about three years. But Biggest news is the MLB draft lottery, which the A's got fucked in again. Uh, so we won't talk about it too much, but the Guardians got the number one pick. The Reds got the two pick. Rockies got the three. A's got the four. White Sox, the five. Royals, six. Cardinals, seven. Angels, eight. Pirates, nine. And the Nationals, who couldn't get to a top six pick, goes mm. at the number 10 spot. Any quick reaction that you got based off of that, Sky? I will say I was disappointed. But I don't think it's the end of the world. There's a lot of great arms in this class coming up. And, of course, injuries always happen. Things change. But as of right now, there's about seven really good arms, college and high school, that the yeah. A's are going to be looking for. I will say this before we get into our bets about the, the A's position specifically. Yeah. I think we – a lot of A's fans are more bummed than what we really should be, be in the sense that this draft class isn't as top-heavy as last year where mm-hmm. we knew one through four, one through five were all just studs and they were going to be most likely really good players in the MLB. After that, you kind of get into a spot where, you know, you get that uncertainty here. I don't think there is that, you know, five, six guys that are really going to be good. So you mm-hmm. got to hit on this pick, but I don't think you're at some crazy competitive disadvantage being at four compared to two or or one. Uh, obviously, it would be nice to be at two or one, but... Just you think Caglione's in play? Eh. Right now, probably not. We'll see how he does this year, though. All right. You never know. Yeah. Move on to our bold predictions uh, and layups and get on out of here. Last week, it was a good week for us. We went three out of four. I had Miami, Washington going over 50. The point five. The Dolphins put up forty five alone, uh, and Washington got their part to get the other six points. So 
That one hit. Skyler had number four FSU minus two and a half versus Louisville. Ended up hitting. So good job to Skyler no there. Number four. Yep. Uh, this week, I have the Lions and the Bears going over 40.5. It's been three straight weeks that I've done an over. They've all hit. And I like this one as well, too. I'm going with some basketball for my layup here. Friday night, the Magic are playing Detroit um, at home. There's no spread yet. I imagine it's anywhere from 6 to 13, and they're going to cover either way. Orlando's been good. Yeah. Last week, poll prediction, I had to take the line where it's Philly plus sides. When you get the best best team record-wise in the NFL, you have to take them when they're plus sides. Fortunately, that did not hit for me. Together, had SMU over two lane. Yeah. You got that plus money there. This week, I have the Raiders money line. They are minus three or plus three at home against the Vikings. Josh Dobbs had a bad game. We're coming off a bye. Should be well rested. I think we, we should be able to get that game done and get the plus money. Yeah, similar strategy for my bull prediction. Going with the Denver money line at the Chargers. Um, Denver. For some reason, ESPN hates them. They give them like a 28% chance to win this game. But they've been rolling, and the Chargers have not. So I'm going to take the risk and say the Chargers don't figure this one out, and Brandon Staley gets fired pretty soon here. Yeah. There we That's go. Do it though. For episode 169, nice. Anything else that you want to add, Skyler? Uh, Army-Navy this weekend, man. Gonna be a great we get game. the we get the NFL version of Army Navy too with Patriots Steelers and, and Mitch Trubisky versus Bailey Zappi. I oh, that game's gonna be fucking awful. Mm-hmm. I will probably still watch a little bit though. We'll see. I'm kind of addicted to uh, you know sports, so <laughs> that's how it goes, baby. But yeah, one sixty nine in the books. We'll be back one seventy next week. Probably some transfer news. That's something I thought about. The transfer portal has been heating up. Um, maybe we'll find out some more guys and talk about it next week. Yeah, we'll see you in episode 170.